Okay, we have major breaking news. Bolt CEO Ryan Breslau has stepped down as CEO and he is moving to an executive chairman role. <gasps> this is after, yes. <laughs> He did this crazy YC thread that YC was not worth it. This after the thread that YC and venture is a mob. The kid threw bombs and now he's out of a job. Was this his decision or was he pushed out? We're going to talk about it today and. And we're going to talk about the fundamentals of his argument about Y Combinator, which mm. actually turns into a little bit of an extra a bonus VC Sunday school, if you will. VC Monday school. <laughs> we also, God help us, wade go. into the Joe Rogan conversation. Uh, we talk about the explanology is what we're calling it. An explanation and an apology Instagram video. <laughs> we also break it down in pieces. Good one, by the way. Good producers. Good good coinage. Explanology. Explanology. Mm -hmm. We break it down in pieces, but we also reflect on the risk to Spotify's business overall and just what this means in terms of the landscape of content publishing platforms it's and it's a messy business and we uh, i think agree that spotify at least kind of whiffed it here hmm. hopefully they're gonna pull it back together it's a great episode stick with us this week in startups is brought to you by lemon.io need to speed up your product development without draining your budget hire vetted engineers from europe at lemon.io Go to lemon.io slash twist to get 15% off for the first four weeks. Our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist and Marlowe. Every founder should have a coach to help them become more effective at managing and leading their teams. Get 15% off your coaching membership at getmarlow.com slash twist. All right, welcome everybody. We're going to get right to the news and there's the news we thought was the big news today until the new news came along and is the new big news of the day. And so that much news. news is breaking. I mean, I know, like right now you're sitting there like, which story is it going to be? Because it could be one of five things. Much but news. <laughs> so much. We are actually going to start though with our own wheelhouse, which is this ongoing conversation about Y Combinator and Stripe and Ryan Breslow, the CEO mm. of Bolt, just throwing bombs, throwing lightning bolts, if you will, nonstop. Yes. And as we were about to start the show, this is how you know this is happening in real time. We found out that Ryan Breslow, Bolt CEO, is actually mm. stepping down Wait, what? as CEO and moving into a role as executive chair. Jason, go. <laughs> I, I'm assuming he needs to spend more time with his family. <laughs> no, I mean, I like Ryan. He says he it's his choice. No. 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 He's un he was unhinged this past week. There are two tweet storms. There was the mob tweet storm. And then there was the YC tweet storm. And uh, let's face it, this kid uh, went rogue. He flew very close to the sun. And I think maybe the wax on the, uh, on the um, wings might have just melted a little bit and Icarus is coming back down to earth. What, you know, was this really his decision? Mm. This seems to me like maybe some board members came to him and said, listen, great to fight up, great marketing. Are you okay? Uh, <laughs> like, you might be under a lot of stress, maybe. 
And it's I got the sense uh, when I see this announcement that maybe he's feeling a tremendous amount of stress from all of this and mm-hmm. maybe just needs a break. And maybe the lashing out on social media, if you consider it lashing out, I would say picking fights on social media. I, I didn't mind it. I thought it was kind of brilliant um, in terms of increasing the profile of Bolt. I don't mind people mixing it up. I thought it was brilliant. But I think somebody probably on the board came to him and said, listen, you might need a break. And, uh, you know, let's have you become executive chairman. And hmm. I don't know. I, this is very strange. Because what do you think? Yeah. Well, I have a lot of questions about that. Because that it has not been common let's say, right? Like we've seen over the past few, I mean, founders have wide latitude, especially when their companies are worth $14 billion. So I feel like it would be pretty surprising for any public company board. I mean, there are so many CEOs right now out there where I'm just like, how do you still have your job up to and including, for example, the Activision Blizzard guy, like, I don't know, the CEO of United, right? Like, you look around, and you're like, what are boards even doing? Mark Zuckerberg. Correct. So that would be, I think, an unusual move. You are, you're 100% correct. So for a company making this much money. Yeah, let me uh, refine my take on it then. I think this was a joint decision, because you're right. I don't think he could be forced out. He probably had either some combination of super voting shares or a lot of shares. Mm-hmm. And generally, the founders, uh, v- VCs and board members are reticent to remove a founder uh, over the last 10, 15 years. It takes a lot. I mean, so much so that they're making a Showtime show or something about Uber and Travis being ousted, right? Exactly. And that was so notable. Um, that proxy fight, that, you know, lawsuits and, and removing him was such a dramatic, what, two-year process, one year of really intensity. Um, and uh, obviously, I was on the losing team on that one. <laughs> You know, I was, I, I had literally pledged my shares to him so he could vote my shares to increase his voting percentage to try to keep him in. Oh, so wow. I didn't know that. That's a little inside information I just disclosed yeah. here for the first time, I think. Huh. Are you in trouble? Is this cool? <laughs> no, I just, you know, for me, it was like, hey, listen, he brought me in. I'm here to support him. Mistakes were made. I, I'm trying to help him get where he needs to go. And uh, I was in favor of him staying on board. But anyway, let's put that aside. Were the tweet threads he did you know, like a fireable offense. No, I mean, I don't, I don't even think, think so. they were particularly damaging, right? They, they were, were not damaging. They, everybody knows what Bolt is now. Right. So the question is like, are people not going to go work at Bolt? Is the stock not going to go up? Are they not going to have customers? No, I don't. I think in all these cases, people are like, what does Bolt do again? Or I should I, we, what's their Twitter handle? I follow them or maybe I'll right. buy shares in secondary. This guy seems like a baller. Yeah, I actually think that we have to consider the possibility that Ryan Breslow meant the things that he said, wanted yes. to say them. Yes. That it wasn't like, and he responded very emotionally to the idea that it was a PR stunt, right? Or that it was yeah, in some should, way meant to be Yeah, let's get into the tweet marketing. from Saturday, because we had this on the docket for today. Yep. And I really wanted to talk to you about it, because it is about accelerators and are they worth it or not, and is YC worth it? And I, I've actually been outspoken about this. So maybe we could walk through what he said about YC, and I can give some reactions and context to it. Yeah, I think it's important because totally. that was the second tweet storm. We know the first one that we talked about that in last week's episodes. Right. And regardless of the stepping down, he clearly has something to say. Yes. And so let's get into the thing he has to say, which yes. he started quite clearly with why Combinator is not worth it a thread. I mean, what a title. I mean, yeah. say what you will. The kid knows how to, to start a thread. 
I mean, this derailed my whole, was this Saturday? This was Saturday. Yeah. yeah this we, was all like, of a sudden we were on group chat. Molly puts down the laundry, like gets the popcorn. Here we go. Yeah. Then he stated that this is definitely not content marketing for Bolt. He said, before we dig in a note on my motivation, some think my recent tweets are marketing stunts. The truth, there's nothing that pisses me off more than the mob mm. that goes on in Silicon Valley. My mission of empowering the next generation of entrepreneurs drives all my work. Sounds familiar. And he's doubling down. I like doubling it. Doubling down. He's doubling down. And he heard us talking about this being marketing last week. And other people had that same hot take. And so he yeah. addresses it. So he's listening to the industry's reaction to his first bomb throwing and this one. Mm -hmm. And then, so he goes on, okay, now to YC, he says, this thread is long, but here's the main takeaway. Also, the kid knows how to construct a lead. He's like, maybe you're not going to read the whole thing. So TLDR is YC might have started off pure, but money, power, and greed have corrupted it. Today, YC is a lottery factory capturing 10% from founders with little concern about the individuals going through the program. Okay. Now, this is where you have to pause for a second and look yep. at each of the claims. YC might have started off pure. We all agree. So this is incredibly persuasive. His, his constructing of arguments, whether you agree with them or not, Ryan either was in debate club or he's paying attention to how to tweet and how to construct an argument. So YC might have started off pure. He's saying something that we can all agree with. And he's putting a might in there. But money, power and greed have corrupted it. We all agree that money, power and greed corrupt. So if you just think about this as a construct, he's getting you to say yes twice. Mm -hmm. which is a great way to sell your ideas. Mm -hmm. Now he's saying YC is a lottery factory. Again, you're saying yes, and you're nodding. But all ventures a lottery, isn't it? Yes. Like we say that all the time. And they're capturing 10% for founders. Well, that's factually true. So now you got a fourth yes in the construction of the argument. Now here's where the fifth one, uh, we can debate yeah. with little concern about the individuals individuals going through the program. So he gets you to say yes four times, just so mm -hmm. you understand how to be persuasive. The fourth one is false. They obviously care about the companies in the program. I, I know the partners there. These are people who have a lot of choices of where to work. They care deeply about the individuals going through the program. So I don't think that that's actually accurate. And it's kind of unfair. People at YC are dedicated to those companies. Are there too many of them? Is 10% too much given the economics of today's market? You know, should that have changed over time? Those are, you know, um, nuanced conversations. But the fifth thing here, I think is not true. Well, it, what's interesting about the fifth thing, though, is that it is in some way, it's unfalsifiable. Like, yes. it's fundamentally subjective, unless you actually know those people, yes. you can't prove it either way, which is so it's so it's creates it's I mean, this is so interesting, because we're deconstructing also how information spreads. Yes. But here are what he considers to be his proof for the statements as he's laid them out. First, he says they've become predatory. First and foremost, he says the cost is beyond predatory. For $500,000, YC has two separate safes, one for 7% and one at the earliest possible, possible valuation in your company. The result is that they own 10 to 14% of your company out of the gate. Now, <clears throat> this model is also somewhat familiar. Well, we do it at launch, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. here's how uh, to look at this. They're talking about YC's new model. Their new model... Uh, paradoxically was something that I kind of pioneered with the the launch uh, model, which was we would put in 100k for 6%, pretty similar to the YC deal, which I think is 125 for seven. Um, and that's the standard accelerator deal. We can debate if that's a good deal or not. I think it's a great deal for people for the top accelerators 
for people who are first time founders. If you're a third or fourth time founder, do you need to do that? Because it kind of insinuates a $2 million valuation for that 7%. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't need that. The second amount, uh, you know, which is what we were doing, we would match whatever you got in the open market at whatever valuation you got. They're doing something similar with this extra 375, I think they're putting in. So if they put that 375 in at 20 million, which a lot of YC companies might go for, they're only getting what is that like 1.5%. So they're actually more like nine and 9%, right? If it's at 10 million, sure, they're getting another 3.75%. So they're just over 10. But the truth is, you're going to give that to other investors. So would you care if YC had nine to 14% or YC had 7% and some other angel had it or some other seed fund? The founder doesn't actually care because someone is going to own 10 to 15% yes. either way is what you're saying. Somebody's going to own seven, the accelerator, and yep. somebody's going to own the difference between seven and 14, a seed right. fund typically. So in truth, if you're a founder, if you could get all that money upfront guaranteed and not have to waste your time in finding investors, and it was at the same terms, it's actually a better deal. You, you, you understand that, right? Did I explain it properly? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, someone's yeah. going to own 10 to 15% either way. Yes. This way, the funding is guaranteed. You know exactly who owns your 10 to 15%. Correct. You're off to the races. The only question I guess I, I have, and maybe Ryan has too, is could you have gotten more money for the 10 to 15% if you went to the open market? Is this like the easy choice that's a bit of a discount? And that is what anybody going to an accelerator has to answer the question, because it really is that $2 million early valuation. If you go to the uh, Launch Accelerate Techstars or Y Combinator, I can tell you as a first time founder, you're going to have a much easier time raising money and your company will become worth more than 7% more valuable. So that's a pretty easy calculation to make. Now mm -hmm. that makes a lot of other investors jealous. But the truth is, if I were to put my name on it and launch his name on it, or YC or Techstars does the sorting process for the investment community, and you're learning about this now as a venture capitalist, you see how much work you're putting into sorting? Yep. If somebody were to sort 100 companies and say, these are the seven best, which is what we do at the accelerator and what Y Combinator does, you'd be like, okay, that's worth something. I'm going to pay attention to those seven companies. Thank you. If you respect that person, I have a track record. Right. So if your company would have been worth 6 million, if it's but worth 7 million, which would be like 15% more, mm -hmm. it's actually uh, worth it. So that's mm -hmm. all the founder has to decide, right? Is do, do you make the company more than 7% or whatever the difference is in that 125k. So if it's 5%, 6%, 7% better, you should do it. Nobody's making you do this. Right? Is that the, the fun? Well, like if you're the fat to uh, except that when course. you sign the deal? Yeah, go ahead. No, you're right. That's another incredibly um, <laughs> basic and important point that's missed in his <laughs> argument, which is there's no gun to anybody's head here. You're making that choice as a founder. And uh, it's pretty great for the founder. Now, every in, if the company becomes a unicorn, every investor looks like they got a deal. Mm -hmm. What that very simplistic, immature version of looking at the world does not account for is all the losses, which is in the previous tweet, which is it's a lottery. And right. only, you know, you basically have a lottery of if it's going to work or not. So when you look at that crazy valuation, and you know, when you do become a unicorn, and it's Airbnb, and you're like, that makes no sense. It, why do they get that deal? You have to then say, okay, well, a 1000 other startups failed, and they got $0 back, right? And they did all the work of running the accelerator, which I think they have 100 people running their accelerator, maybe 150 people work at YC. I'm not sure what the number is now. So make a fact check us.
when you're scaling your startup quickly, hiring engineers can slow you down like nothing else. We all know that. Well, here's some good news for you. Lemon.io will find you the perfect candidate within, wait for it, 48 hours, I kid you not. And what is Lemon.io, you ask? They're a marketplace of engineers from Europe, where some of the greatest engineers in the world are based, and they'll match you with a candidate again within just 48 hours. That's two days for those of you doing the math at home. And if it doesn't work out, they're going to replace the developer right away. So there is no risk for you, the founder of a startup. And they test and interview every developer to eliminate the risk of a failed project. So we got a testimonial from Launch Portfolio founder Drew Fabricant, and he told us that Lemon was a game changer for his startup Scout, which is a lead gen platform. They do great stuff. They were under the gun. They needed to hire a developer with a very specific skill set as soon as possible. And Lemon delivered. And they were a pleasure to work with, according to my pal Drew. So not only did they find exactly what they were looking for, but Lemon also delivered them a second engineer really fast. What a great story. So here's your call to action. If you could use a full-time or part-time developer to run your projects faster, I want you to go to lemon.io slash twist. Again, lemon.io slash twist. And you're going to receive a 15% discount for the first four weeks of work with a developer. What a great deal. So we have dispensed in some ways with the idea that this is predatory. I mean, Ryan argues that this it's is an predatory. enormous ownership that is nowhere near the value created. And it sounds yeah, like simply not true. Disagree. He then names five beliefs about Y Combinator and breaks them down one by one that the name will raise valuation by mm -hmm. more than that 10 to 14%. That the Y that YC okay, will coach. Okay, so hold on. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about that first. Should we point. do them one at a time? I think we should too. because that mm -hmm. point. See, what he's doing here is he's blending those two rounds. The seven percent, you could say, you know, the, they're actually saying the core belief there. If we go back one to the number one on that list, yeah, you only have to say, does a company become worth seven percent more valuable, right? Not ten to fourteen, because the ten to fourteen, that last eight through fourteen points, mm -hmm. is at market rate. It's at the market rate, right? So, so the YC market puts determined in 375,000, but that's not all you're necessarily raising. Correct. So he, he's just kind of, in order to make his argument stronger, he's being intellectually dishonest on that one. So in that first one, he's saying YC's name will raise valuation by more than 7% is the most accurate, not the 10 to 14. It's a subtle point, but that last 375k is that market rate, not at the 7% rate. But it's kind of like a pro rata though, right? Like no matter what, that 375 ends up buying YC 10 to 14%. We're straying no. a little bit into VC Sunday yeah. School so here. So what you would do is you would sure. take the 7% out for the original note, which yep. they bought for 125. So what he's saying in the math here is there's three to 7% that that 375 buys. If it was at a $10 million valuation, it would be 3 million, you know, the 3.75 would buy 3.75 points. And if it was at 678, it would buy a little more. But that is at market rate. So YC promises you that 375 at the next notes conversion. So whatever the price is, they're paying market price, just like anybody else would. All they're doing is taking the time out and letting you, if you were going to raise a million, start with 37% already accounted for. Mm -hmm. That's incredibly helpful. Once you get to 37, 40, 50% of your round close, the other half closes 99% easier, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about momentum. The first 30, 40% is the hardest. The last 20, 30% is like, it closes immediately. It'd be like you saying like, there's two tickets left for tonight's Warriors game. It's like, I'll take them. <laughs> right. You know, when there's <laughs> yep. like, the whole arena is empty. It's like, okay, uh, I'll wait and see how this goes. Yep. So it's just not intellectually correct. The first point. Okay. Point two, why Combinator will coach and mentor you. Sure. Okay. Ryan goes on to say, my YC founder friends say the advice is minimal. There are rushed office hours, generic advice. Y Combinator is a machine 
and going deep with the founder is basically impossible by design. This is, uh, I've heard this from many founders who yeah. say the program is cookie cutter. The knowledge is now available, you know, on This Week in Startups, on every other podcast, on Quora. This is directionally correct. And it's a function of, so this is his strongest part of his argument. Mm -hmm. You don't go to YC for their advice. The advice is minimal because unlike when YC started, the advice is all available on the on the internet. Everybody's right. written so many startup books. Everybody's done so many Quora questions. It's like the information's out there. And the office hours, uh, I do hear that they're rushed because they have so many partners. I'm sorry, they have so many companies that it's just very diluted. So this is probably true. And he also talks about in relation to uh, YC's name raising valuation by more than 10 to 14%, that part of the problem is the batch size is 400, which seems Correct. to get to both of those issues, right? Potentially 100%. the valuation thing, because they're just pumping them out by the hundreds, literally. And how could you possibly give personalized advice? They have their class size is too big to use. This is why I only did seven in the launch accelerator classes. I think we've done 24 now or 20, 24 classes of seven because I was like, I just don't want to I don't want to have what is like a giant restaurant. I don't I don't want to run like the like an Olive uh, che Garden Cheesecake Factory or Olive right. Garden. You know, like if I'm going to do a restaurant, I want it to be a seven, eight seat sushi bar. And I want it to be high end. So that's why I did seven. I also don't want to put my name on 400 things. But YC is a machine. Mm -hmm. And it is trying to use its brand to scale and to try to very quickly find as many unicorns as possible. And they have taken a portfolio approach. This is Ryan's strongest argument. It is correct. And as you would say, Molly, and what do you want to say? And, 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 and <laughs> still probably worth the 7%. Right. Because they do, in fact, make you more than 7% more valuable. So even though it's less intimate, even though it's a machine, even though they accept too many companies, still worth it. So this is interesting, too, because uh, then his third belief number three, right? So if we, we want to go back to the five points. Yes. Belief number three, why Combinator will put you in front of hundreds of investors at demo day. That's true. He's like, yeah, sure, that happens. But no, it's not unique. Nearly every accelerator does this, including, yep. for example, ours. And there's only yes. seven of you. So he says, sure, YC maybe has more investors, but it is simultaneously the hardest accelerator to stand out in giving it's the outlandish kind of a joke. Size. The demo day is kind of a joke. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is they, because of their reputation, a lot of the new investors, uh, not the old investors get kind of sweeped up in it. So if you're a dentist or a lawyer, somebody from outside the industry, you kind of have felt like over the last years, it's a safe bet to bet on a YC company. And so you'll pay a higher price, you won't review the documents and you make a quick decision. So he's absolutely correct. We introduce people to a thousand in well, we introduce people to 9500 angels who are members of the <laughs> the syndicate. And we have them on this podcast, and they reach 100,000 people and probably 10% of those another 10 20,000 are investors. So it is now no longer unique their demo day. So okay. he's this isn't this is a directionally correct, if not correct, criticism. Yep. And what's interesting here is everything has been, I would say, other than maybe what you're like, you're saying, you know, look, the valuation argument is just that's flawed. They, you may have an argument as a CEO that 10 to 15% ownership by a single entity is just too much. That seems separate from yeah. this. But so far, yeah, he's basically saying, I think, why Combinator is the Olive Garden and is not as good as you think it is. But now but it's we calories. Get, <laughs> but it's calories. Exactly. But it's calories. So then we have our uh, belief number four. 
Okay. Which is where we start to get into more mob stuff. Yes. YC will help you sell into YC. This part, says Ryan, is actually true. Hashtag the mob. If your startup sells to other startups, they have a monopoly on this. So this is, yeah. So is this true? This is half true, not true. Um, Mm -hmm. I've heard from founders, it's annoying that people believe this because somebody comes up with an enterprise product and then they start hitting every YC company up. Well, you use our product, use a product. And then one of the nefarious things and, um, I'll just say I've heard this and, you know, I'm, I'm not making any accusations here, but when people do diligence on a YC company, it might be wise and people have told me to discount their sales numbers or to drill into them and find out if there's a little favor bank going on here. Mm. Where let's say 10 YC companies pay for your product, you pay for their product. This is called round tripping in the industry. It's a little known, but this is why in diligence. You and I have been through this in your first month here. I've said, or you actually witnessed me having a conversation with Kelly, which was, did you talk to three customers? And it was totally. that SaaS product. I won't say which one. That was a little hard to understand. Mm-hmm. And it would have been easier if we had talked to the customers, but it's a backend software product. So therefore, it's not like you go on the web and see how people are using it. And if you do drill in on a YC company and they have 10 customers and you find out seven of them are from YC, I would discount all seven. Yeah. Okay, so and fair. I would say those seven don't count. Baby mob. It'd be like it's not even mob. It's just a club. Look, it's a club. Let's call it what it is, right? But it would mobs be fake. are not necessarily clubs. Not every club is the mob. The mob is a club, but not every club is the mob. You know, when I grew up in Brooklyn, every club is a mob. A lot of the mobsters <laughs> were in clubs. <laughs> they would have like uh, Italian American Heritage Club. Uh, that would be the, yeah. you know, St. This Person Club, the Columbus Club. You know, there were clubs. So there was a <laughs> car so club. Gangly, yeah, is what you're saying. Knights of Columbus. I'm not throwing any aspersions on the Italian-American community. they take care of after each other. After I did my Yaya impersonation on All In last week, and people Ooh, were going to cancel me after that. Not even going to lie, had a lot of cringe on the dog walk over that what one. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Am I not allowed to do my Italian Don't accent? Bring here. Don't bring that here. <laughs> See also the pre-show conversation regarding the yes. 80s. I think I, can, I can't do an Italian grandmother conversation. Okay. I mean. I thought I could. I know a lot of Italian grandmas. Save it for the other show. Save it for the other show. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, but this is something that other startups do. So I've trained all my people, always ask the source of the first 10 customers. And right. you would be... Uh, I would never be surprised if the first three customers were your sorority sister fraternity brothers who are working at JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs and they right, right, did right. you a favor mm-hmm. by putting it on their corporate card or trying it. Not <laughs> not illegal, maybe not even unethical. If you if your fraternity brother was at Goldman and you might be able to get your SaaS product into Goldman through them, right, that's like just a contact. Court. That's just hustling and networking. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if you don't use the product, and then you're using that data to go sell an investor. Is it a honest representation of reality? Probably not if they're not using the product. Now, if they use the product and it's landed and expanded, yes. So this is where it's a very nuanced conversation. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, this is what I think is so brilliant about this thread overall is that it's all kind of, it's just like how you squint, right? It's true Mm. depending on how you look at it. Like some versions of it are true. And what he's essentially pointing out here is why Combinator has a lot of power. And I have had people come to me, like I I think I was telling you guys, I had a venture capitalist years ago be like, 
I think you should take a look at Y Combinator and whether it's a net negative for the Valley in general, because every, once something has enough influence yeah. and power, then of course they can seem like the bully in the room. And it doesn't mean they didn't build that influence legitimately. It's I mean, just we the, could say the same about Harvard and Stanford, right? Yeah. Like these things have become incredible institutions. It's time for another R Crowd deal of the week. Right now, you can join R Crowd's investment in HIL Applied Medical. According to the deal memo, they are using Nobel Prize winning technology to bring the most advanced radiotherapy treatment to cancer patients. HIL's world first laser based system has earned them an agreement with Proton International, which is the largest proton therapy operator in the US and Europe. And you can invest in HIL Applied Medical at slash twist. And just so you know, all around the world, Companies like HIL Applied Medical are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes many of these companies across the global private market. Then they select the ones with the greatest growth potential and they bring them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity and now proton therapy, a $20 billion total addressable market, according to their deal memo. So in state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, or anywhere in between, our crowd identifies innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest, and you know when that is, early. So here's your CTA, the old call to action. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist to review the current deal memos. There's no payment involved until you decide to invest. That's our crowd com slash twist to sign up for free. What I respect about Y Combinator is unlike Harvard, which has the same number of students graduating, I think what Y Combinator started was, hey, listen, if we can have six people go through this program, and it's such a good program, and it helps founders so much. Why don't we try for 60? Why don't right. we try for 100? Right. So that's kind of cool that they did try to scale it and let more people have access to it. If they only accepted seven forever, and those people all raised 10 million coming out of the program, you'd be like, well, why don't they let more people in? Yeah. Why don't they let more people of color in? Why don't they let more women in? They actually have funded, and this is where you have to give them a lot of credit, by, because they've scaled, they've funded more international, more women, more people of color, more underrepresented founders than anybody. Mm -hmm. Now, you could take a negative view of that and say on a percentage basis, yada, yada, but net it numbers- it's too crowded and blah, blah, blah. Well, there's always yes. give and take. There's always yes, give and take. But the numbers are tremendous. And this is if I was running my company, I'd say, okay, here's the number of female founders we've invested in. Would mm -hmm. anybody like to put their numbers against ours? Because it would be embarrassing because if they've had right. two that I think they've had maybe 2000 people go through the program to date. They're doing 400 a year now and they were doing 100 before somebody can fact check me but it's got to be in the 1000s now. So let's say it's 3000. If 10% of 3000 were female founders, that's 300 female founders funded, you could take the top 10 venture firms, combine yeah. their female founders together, it would be 100. You're not getting those numbers. Totally. You're not getting those numbers. Mm -hmm. And they're investing early, which is the hardest deal to make. So you mm -hmm. got to give Y Combinator a lot of credit for being inclusive, even though people would like to say they're not inclusive. Yeah. Because you're looking then, at percentage, not real numbers. And then finally, Ryan says, uh, point number five is that he says, YC will connect you with peers at the same stage. His response to that is tech is a very welcoming community. Not for everyone, but sure. Tech is a very welcoming community, he says, with a little work, this is easy, but it's certainly not worth any equity in your company. Mm. What do you think um, about that? I mean, sure, right? Making friends isn't necessarily, but it's a, it's icing on the cake. It's not the cake. But the again, cake going is, back to Harvard yeah. and Yale, aren't the networks? Don't you join a fraternity? Hundred percent is why you do that. Like when YC was in public, the network was extremely valuable. Yeah. Now, tech is a very welcoming community. Uh, Ryan's accurate. 
in 2022. He would be inaccurate 15 years ago. Because when I came, or even like 20, 30 years, when I came into the industry, even as a white guy, the fact that I was from Brooklyn and didn't have a you know degree from Harvard or you know or Stanford or something like that, it was kind of like, I do really belong here or not, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I would say, say tech is more welcoming. Much more welcoming. I don't think that necessarily always means it's very. I would compare it to other industries as a fair one. So would you say it's easier to make it in tech or Hollywood? Tech. Okay. Would you say tech or finance? Is there a difference these days? <laughs> well, well, like uh, Wall Street. We were working at Goldman as an oh, investment yeah, banker yeah, yeah. versus, you know, uh, tech. Ver- tech. Okay. Tech versus, I don't know, the media becoming a journalist. Mm, Could be equal. That's a, that's a, you know what? Because tech has made media and becoming a journalist more accessible, I would say they are almost even and it is the result of tech, right? Like, there's, There's a, a Substack, YouTube channels, podcasting. But look, getting hired by the New York Times and or even if you get hired there being respected by the New York Times, mm. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, like it being, for example, from the middle of the country and working on the West Coast and then getting accepted by the New York media mafia. Yeah. Tech is still easier. Okay. So we just 100%. took three hu- uh, politics or tech easier to break into. Tech. tech. So I would argue tech. <laughs> so I just picked three top industries, media, finance, yep. te- and I, I would say tech is more welcoming, mainly because of technology, right? Like chat rooms, podcasting, whatever. So it's anyway. the tools that make it that way. And frankly, that I think is what Ryan is saying, too, is like, with a little work, you can join the like this week in startups yes. Slack channel for founders and, you know, get to know everybody. Be you part of the Nodi gang. Like, you're I mean, in, be part of the Nodi gang. You're in I'm, a world I'm where trading more emails with Walton Dormish than half my staff. I mean, he emails me more hustle. than yeah. The most optimistic hustler on the <laughs> internet is Walton Dornish. Absolutely, it is like nothing I've ever seen. He's just like a he's a, like a support machine. Yes, incredible. Tech human. is about what you what what is your skill? What can you get done? What have mm-hmm. you done? A lot of the other industries are about who you know. Let's be honest. Absolutely. Hollywood, you know, who and you credentials. Know. Yeah. And fundamentally about credentials. And I think tech was built in theory to be less about credit. Well, and then also it was co-opted by a bunch of like Stanford guys. So it's, you yeah. know, everything is a give and take. But yes, 100% to that point where he's basically saying tech is dem- democratic enough that you don't need to give away 15% of your company for a community. Mm-hmm. I'll give him that one. That's a, that's a gimme. So net net in all of this, are, is there any else thing to the argument we need to even go well, through Well, so here? then he ends, no, oh. but here's his four key pieces of advice to new founders on how to build a network and raise money. It's like Ryan's accelerator in one tweet. One, hustle to make friends with other founders. Two, host social meetups to turn friends into more friends. Three, start building something differentiated. And four, leverage your network when it's time to raise. Great advice. I talk about it in my book about how to build a network. Not everybody's an extrovert. Not everybody's designed for this. Not everybody enjoys it. Yep. So great. He is obviously an extrovert communicator. Mm -hmm. So for him, he has a bias towards this. I have a bias towards this. I've met many founders who are very successful who the idea of hustling to make friends like they don't want to invite people to dinner and, you know, host the dinner and then talk to people and try to hustle like the idea of hustling to make friends, I would say for the majority of people is not something they're designed to do. Well, so I think his advice is for like a third of people. Exactly. I totally agree. It's so interesting because, you know, as we get into the Rogan conversation and simultaneously, there's a conversation happening in our chat right now that is basically about empathy, right? Try Please try to understand my point of view so that I can, I'll try to understand your point of view. And like Ryan Breslow is giving advice that works for some people, but not for everybody. And YC is an accelerator that works for some companies, 
and not for all of them. And it's, I mean, it literally is just like, can't we all just get along? Obviously, there was a response from Y Combinator at long last. No surprise. Paul Graham finally uh, responded. Paul Graham's retired, I think. But he does show up for, he was, Paul Graham's kind of retired. I respect Paul Graham for this as well. Kind of went to Europe, retired, and uh, still gives advice. And I Mm -hmm. see him. When I used to go uh, a couple of years ago to Y Combinator Demodis, he would actually show up for it. So I, I have a lot of respect for Paul Graham as well. I think he's like actually in it for the right reasons. And I respect him for handing it off to folks and then going and raising his family and, and yeah, cashing in his chips. Listen, as a founder, it's really hard to find the time to become a great manager on your own. And that's where Marlowe comes in. Marlowe is one-to-one management training and coaching that helps managers level up quickly. They take the best parts of executive coaching and they combine it with their proprietary management training program. So you can become more effective and efficient at managing your team. This is super important. I see so many startups that fell from bad management. People don't quit a startup they quit a bad manager. We all know that. So you need to have great managers who listen and have empathy, but also demand results from your people. So you'll work with a dedicated coach at Marlowe to help you identify which areas need improvement. Then you're going to focus on developing the most important habits and skills and members rate their coaching experience 9.9 out of 10. So there's room for improvement. That's a pretty great score though. Let's be honest. And Marlowe works with managers and emerging leaders in startups like Scribd, Hims and Her, Statusphere and more. So what about the rest of your team? Marlowe has them covered as well. They can provide your entire team with the support they need to be successful. So here's what I want you to do. The call to action. Get Marlowe.com slash twist to get 15% off your individual or team memberships. Once again, get Marlowe.com slash twist to get 15% off. I mean, I guess what I think is interesting is that we are also at a point where as you examine all these questions about accelerators and heaven help us, that includes ours. You can ask yourself to some extent, right? Because let me make the point first that YC alumni have now started a blockchain-based DAO called mm-hmm. Orange DAO to invest in crypto startups. There was a, a seminar over the weekend about whether investment DAOs are in fact themselves the future of VC. So we're starting to see almost, you know, and, and this is a conversation that's come and gone over the years, like is crowdfunding And Mm -hmm. now crowdfunding through DAOs, which YC itself is even dabbling with the future of VC and or the competition to an accelerator or early stage VC, if you don't care about all of these other sort of slightly less obvious benefits. You're just trading one selection process for another. And so with crowdfunding, you're saying a bunch of people writing $100 to $1,000 checks make a better decision than people who do it full time for a living Mm -hmm. and who see the top companies and who have great deal flow. The answer to that is obviously no. And then here you're saying, okay, a bunch of people who join this DAO who put in three ETH or, you know, one Bitcoin are going to make better decisions collectively. Possibly, I think what the the best function of these groups, and listen, we run a DAO called the syndicate.com. It's just not crypto based. And there's no voting on what companies uh, go to it. People vote with their dollars if they want to fund it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of similar, most similar and analogous to syndicates but DAOs are illegal in the united states you cannot just take random people's money and for and invest in companies it this is a, illegal like to a do really salient point that's <laughs> really salient. if this was legal i'd be doing it <laughs> you don't think i want to get my hands on that crypto money <laughs> wait but how is it then that yc can start this blockchain based no, no, DAO they're to all invest in experimenting startups? i jumped into the latest DAO thing last night that they had a conversation on twitter spaces and they're like 
if you want to show interest and if you want to vote for people who are pro DAOs, and everybody thinks DAOs are legals because somewhere in Montana, they have a framework for DAOs. They're all what's called LAOs, LLC based DAOs, which means they're doing the exact right. same SPV structure that AngelList, the syndicate, my syndicate, everybody else's syndicate uses, Assure.co provides. They're all doing an LLC SPV which has limitations, 250 members, $10 million invested, it has to be accredited investors, you have to know who they are, you mm -hmm. have to have a relationship with them, you have to, if it's 506c, which all these DAOs are, 506c means it's publicly raising, you have to know who that you have to then certify if it's public, that they're actually accredited. The reason why other DAOs did not get censored or had legal action is because when they went to buy the Constitution, they said, we're going to, we are going to buy the Constitution. They didn't say you are going to own the Constitution. Mm. And they kind of actually probably broke the law a little bit in that one because they were tweeting like hey let's buy the constitution mm -hmm. the fact is what you were doing was you were donating for them to buy the constitution and then they were promising to do something like put it in a museum or something gotcha so if you actually want to take investors money and then return more and give them shares and ownership and something you got to play by the sec's rules and the sec rules are you got to be accredited 250 people per spv and uh, you got to be registered and you can't break 10 million. So YC alumni, I may have misspoken there and said that YC was starting it. We should try to get um, it's it's co-led by Ben Hugh, of course, of. OK, so this is another rub. meme invention fame. People who one. went to is another rub to all of this. The alumni right. of alumni. the alumni like Harvard alumni will say Harvard Alumni Investment Club. That's not Harvard. And yeah. this is another thing YC has had a little bit of a challenge with is alumni will leave and say we have special access to yc companies and we'll get you into them early and they'll and there was somebody who had a yc i think angelist had a mob <laughs> kind of mobby right <laughs> so you know the if you really want to go after the mob behavior in, in y combinator the place to look would be why do 20 companies suddenly raise their money before demo day even though yc tells you not to raise money before demo day and they wind up not presenting on demo day Mm. And that's because YC has always given the inside track, all the aces and kings in the deck mm -hmm. go to YC partners and other venture firms. I know this because people have told me that they get tipped off by other YC partners. And of course they do. If you're a, if you're a YC partner and you see some great company, you're like, this is the next Airbnb. Of course, you're going to invest in it. Of course, you're going to get reserve your ticket. Of course, you're going to develop a relationship. With and if you have a relationship with some other venture firm, of course, you're going to tip them off. Yeah. And of course, you're going to get some company to come along and buy your company that's not doing that well, so you can get your returns. And I mean, look, it's a whole it is no conflict, no interest, no conflict, no, conflict, no interest. No this is the opposite of everything you learned in journalism. I mean, it's fun it's like, as hell for me. Like it just just shedding edge? the layers one by one. Just like okay, I guess we just get to yeah. What edge do you have? Press your edge. It's I mean, you watch the TV show Billions. Totally. Have yeah. you watched the TV show Billions where they're always yeah. trying to get an edge and they're like, okay, how can we make this trade? It's like, okay, yeah, let's poison. Let's put bacteria in these in this juice company. So we tank their stock. So people get a coli. And mm -hmm. we'll like, that was like the theme of the first season, I think is like, some juice companies going public and, and they basically do an E. Cola breakout <laughs> to <laughs> tank the stock because they shorted it and whatever. And it's like, oh, that's goodness. illegal. Yeah, business is But ugly. is it illegal for you to have a friend who's at YC who tells you you should invest in this company? Of course not. I mean, if it's illegal, the entire American sphere of influence, you know, based economy is going to go away overnight. And it's that's not going to happen. So here's what I say. If you're a founder, first time founder, and you get into YC, go.
take the money and go. Your company will become worth more than 7%. And if they put the extra 300 in, you're going to take that from somebody else. It's a no brainer to go. If you're a serial founder, and you've got your own million dollars that you can back your company with or the first 250k will do that, of course, mm -hmm. and then push out your first financing. But if it's your first company, and you got a co founder, you'll wind up owning 20%, 15% when you go public like Larry Page did and Sergey Brin, and it'll be okay, or Airbnb did. You'll be just fine if you own seven to fifteen percent of a Google Airbnb. Yeah, kind of how it works. Same goes for lunch, by the way. Same goes for our accelerator or tech <laughs> or, or tech stars. You know, like I, I, yeah. I, I, we really don't have to sell ours too hard because we only accept seven and we're always oversubscribed, so it's not a big deal. Yeah, very true. But I have a new strategy I'm I'm working on to because we had bested YC's deal, and I have a new strategy I'm working on that you know about, which we'll announce in maybe in thirty days of how we're going to best their better deal. Uh, so just. Put a pin in that because always find your edge and then press it there you go um we're putting some bacteria in yc's juice just kidding no we're not no we're not doing that <laughs> i am really proud of us by the way because we have gone fully 40 minutes into this podcast maybe it won't sound that way when you hear it uh, edited but it's taken us this long yeah to actually get to the story that dominated most of the weekend yes which was of course joe rogan and spotify yes. All right, here we go. Everybody wants to hear about this one. <gasps> Molly, what did you say last week? I think we should start with your clip from last oh, week. Can we great. start with that? Okay, producers. Curveball. I just feel like that is the most salient thing we have to say here. That is very true. We had this conversation last week and and, J and Jason, as he has wont to do, was like, what would you do, Molly? And I was like, hmm. but wait, here's what I would do. Honestly, I guess what I would do is just put a label on it. Like this isn't, this is con like they do on uh, editorials on TV or something like this. Or this when content is not on. endorsed by Spotify, right? This is a, our. Or I, I wouldn't have a problem with that if they said this. This show has disputed claims. Here are here are those disputed podcasts and right. link to them. Like that's kind of what Facebook Joe Rogan, is trying to do. Walk the yeah, line. I don't think Joe Rogan would have a problem with that. I think he would want to actually hear where he's wrong. Yeah, I think actually he would. Nailed it. Nailed it. So the news broke this weekend that Spotify would link to their content terms, which I think they previously didn't have a policy. I mean, they did not. <laughs> like Spotify, we will get to in a minute, has done essentially everything wrong here. Okay. And one of the things that they had didn't do is have a published policy, despite by their oh. own admission, having removed over 30,000 podcasts that weren't Joe Rogan related to COVID-19 oh. misinformation specifically. Got it. So they had and a policy, but wouldn't even tell like, you know, the media, of course, was calling them and wouldn't even say what their policy was. So step one is that they are actually going to publish it. Step two, they're going to put up this label, just like we suggested. Makes sense. Any podcast episode that includes a discussion about COVID-19 will get a label and advisory that will direct listeners to Spotify's dedicated COVID-19 hub, a resource that provides easy access to data-driven facts, up-to-date information as shared by scientists, physicians, academics, and public health authorities around the world, as well as links to trusted sources. Perfect. And then now people, if they want to have the debate of what, now the next debate is what's a trusted source. So now you can go to that page and be like, I don't trust the World Health Organization or I don't trust Fauci or whatever, but at least they're pointing you to trusted sources like scientists. I mean, that's a lot better than comedians or quack doctors, mm -hmm. or anything in between. Yeah, definitely. Now, it still does not, Spotify still has not answered or I think probably dealt with to the satisfaction 
of, of its Neil critics. <laughs> well, of Neil Young and Joni yeah. Mitchell. And Bri- I mean, people keep blessing, glossing over this, but Brene Brown stopped publishing her exclusive deal podcast indefinitely on She's po- a big on deal, Spotify. right? She's a big She's a big deal. deal. I, it's not that. my content, but she's like a personal help guru. Yeah. Like for and people who aren't Joe Rogan fans, Brene Brown is the Joe Rogan, right? Like there's like, it. there, it's a very competing like, sort of self-help universe. Got it. Yeah. And uh, Prince Harry and Meghan have been putting pressure on Spotify because they, they signed questions. They an exclusive questions. deal. They, they said publicly that they have questions. Behind the scenes, I would assume those questions are, how are you going to fix this? <laughs> yeah. And... Spotify has not exactly dealt with like they put out a statement that was very Facebook-esque, right? We don't want to be in the position to censor content, this and that. But what they haven't acknowledged, I think probably satisfactorily, is that it's a, that they commissioned exclusive content. Like they're they're the exclusive publisher here of and, this content. And so they do possibly they're they're Joe Rogan's boss. Like this is as one friend put it to me this weekend, this is a talent management question because they bought is. the stuff. So it is and it isn't. There's something between producing the show and buying the rights to publish a pre-done show. So let me explain mm-hmm. the sort of difference there. There are some people who choose to make the totality of their show and then say, you can license it. Yeah. You can, you can take it if you want, but you have no involvement of the production of, and that's the relationship they have with Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Then there's their in-house production team, which they just shut down, which uh, the person who used to produce this podcast was actually running. I think it was called Studio Four or something. And then they also have The Ringer. They bought The Ringer. The Ringer has editors and producers. So in that way, they own the production company, which means they are, in fact, producing it. What with, mm-hmm. Bren- is it Brene Brown? Am I pronouncing Brene Brown. Yeah. Brene Brown, produ- I believe, produces her own show with her people who she pays whatever she wants to. And then they get her episode. So they just publish the episode and they have exclusive rights to monetize it and sell ads on it. And that's the relationship with Joe yeah. Rogan. It's distinctly They're different. IP. They're mm-hmm. licensing IP. Yep. That means they are not allowed to go into it and start editing and cutting it. Whereas if they were producing it in-house, they are explicitly doing that. They are constructing. So let's just yeah. you know, understand there's two different Oh, I understand there. that there's, yes, I'm very familiar with I don't know the audience models. does, though. I'm just oh, yeah, not sure yeah, everybody yeah. the okay, audience does. Okay, not me, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah I yeah. know you know. No, and I think that is, a, that is a super important thing to say, which is that Spotify is not producing or creating. They are not involved in the editorial creation of this product. However, right. unlike other podcast deals, right? Unlike Facebook, mm-hmm. even. Unlike YouTube. Spotify is not the sort of like a neutral conduit for this content that could be found everywhere else. Price. So they have to a the different level of responsibility. Facebook and YouTube themselves had already blurred the line and they were already trying to sort of mm-hmm. claim that they were the platform and not the publisher. And that was already a little bit messy because of algorithms and YouTube has a studio where they encourage and pay creators. But in the case of Spotify, it's a much more one to one. And the, the thing that became in, like the sort of intellectual exercise I was having over the weekend is like, at what point like, could Spotify end up ruining everything for everyone by getting the FCC involved here? Because the FCC, for example, does content, has content regulation over broadcast. Mm-hmm. And so far, they have totally Left sidestepped the yeah. questions of the internet, right? They're like, no, we are only responsible because we control the spectrums. Like, it's all about the specific type of communication. Subscription yeah. services don't apply. But like, you wonder if this starts to become the thing where it's like, I have a lens for that, actually. You're the publisher, yeah. Not, I'm. By the way, stop your freaking tweets. I am not advocating this. <laughs> yeah, no. It is like an insight of just where this could... Just delete the draft. W- well, you just predicted 
essentially perfectly what Spotify would do. And you're kind of, I think, predicting directionally what a government agency might do. Mm-hmm. And here's a, how you can determine if somebody's a publisher. And I talked about this, I think, on <laughs> we were having a discussion about like uh, this just last week. A publisher publishes the content, right? They make it available. They promote it and they monetize it. And in some cases, they produce it. So here you have them doing everything but the production of the content. They are promoting it. They do ads for Joe Rogan. They promote it. They put it in the top of the app. They make the artwork. They're promoting it. Mm -hmm. They monetize it. They capture the money off of it and they pay for it. Sorry, that was the piece I left out. So they pay for it. If you are involved in that kind of revenue sharing relationship and you're involved in the promotion of it, you're the publisher. Even if you don't make it because they have the veto right. Yeah. So whether the veto right comes after you get the episode or it comes during the production of the episode, you still got the veto right. So then I think they have a different level of responsibility than say Mm -hmm. they do for this week in startups, which they don't monetize the show. They don't have the rights to it. They don't promote it. Fine. And to that point about veto power, and this is where like things just get a little continue to get a little messy for Spotify. Spotify vetoed. When Rogan went to exclusive yeah. on Spotify, they immediately removed about 40 episodes yeah. from his 1000 episode feed, which included people like uh, interviews like Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, Chuck Johnson. They removed episodes, uh, including interviews with a convicted rapist serving life in prison, a comedian who was accused of soliciting child porn from a teen girl. So what I am trying to say is Spotify those, has exercised yeah. veto power in the past. Sure. It has removed tens of thousands of podcasts from its own directory over COVID-19 misinformation, and it has carved a big old loophole for Joe Rogan. And I just doubt that from a, I think it's only a matter of time before like legislators come in here, right? Like this is, I don't think this has solved their problem, the labels. I think, you know, and and that in fairness to um, uh, Joe Rogan, the people who were convicted of crimes and all that kind of stuff, like uh, War Machine and stuff like that, they were on before those convictions happened. So it was kind of like, do we want this archive episode? So it would be like, we're not going to include Bill Cosby's shows or, you know. But they made an editorial call. They made an editorial call to not take those. Yes. And so then I think we, the next piece of this puzzle is to go to Joe Rogan actually uh, Mm -hmm. gave some feedback on his approach to the show, which I think kind of defended my position, which has always been, he's a comedian. He just has a rambling three hour conversation and you should not really take any of this as anything more than a rambling conversation. That might be a starting point for you to do your own research. So let's hear some parts of uh, his clip. I think, let's see, because he doesn't, he explains the situation and then I think a relevant clip is Rogan talks about his problems with the claims of misinformation. Let's listen to that here because nobody's talking about specifically what the misinformation is. I think his position on this is important. The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Like, for instance, eight months ago, if you said if you get vaccinated, you can still catch COVID and you can still spread COVID. You would be removed from social media. They would, they would ban you from certain platforms. Now that's accepted as fact. If you said, I don't think cloth masks work, you would be banned from social media. Now that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you'd be banned from many social media platforms. Now that's on the cover of Newsweek. What is your thought on, you know, these, the the moving target of a pandemic, which is a unique situation, like he is not wrong that 
the advice from a year ago would be radically different in the Omicron era, or that the lab leak theory went from being like, you get banned from social media talking about it. Now, most people believe that's kind of the likely scenario. I mean, I think four to five of those things are just actual lies. Which piece? Like at no point <laughs> would you get banned. First of all, this question of banned from social media is a whole other, yeah. right? What does that even mean? Like, if you're well, losing you, your account, like people lost their accounts right. or had them turned off for 60 days. You, nobody saying everyone knows that no vaccine like that, like the flu vaccine, yeah. you could still get the flu. Right, and but you he, could still potentially right. Like yeah. doctors were saying this is how vaccines work. That mm -hmm. now were you saying the vaccine doesn't work? You're still going to get sick and spread it to everybody. So don't take it. Yeah. I just think like that, there's a little playing, there's a little like defensive. I, I, this is such a terrible mistake, like even getting into the Joe Rogan content from my side. But like, yeah. I think that that's, it's an interesting attempt to have it both ways. I kind of feel like I might be taking the other, this might be a situation where we have different opinions on this. Because I kind of feel like in a moving target like this, I would, I would err on the side of having more information. And I Which look at your every platform has platforms have not been out here just wholesale nuking people i think that fundamentally is what is the big lie there haven't like, been a, you are correct a lot of people have not lost their accounts over this you it would be the most extreme people saying don't get exactly. the vaccine it's got microchips in it exactly like look at who has actually been banned versus the claim like if you say this you'll be banned no Thousands of QAnon accounts went away. Sure. Yes. Those were the ones that the people talking Find about the microchip. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, I said when we had our discussion, I think like Rogan wouldn't have a problem. I think he's, I kind of consider him in the Tim Ferriss vein, although he, I think Tim is a little more considered. And Joe takes like, if, if Tim Ferriss takes like this, um, I've got my hands like the size of a, a grapefruit, a big one. Mm -hmm. Like if he takes this much risk in terms of booking guests, now like my hands are like a watermelon, like Joe will have almost anybody right. on who's interesting. Do audiences understand that? I thought they did, but maybe they don't. Here Rogan explains in this quick 40 second clip that uh, he gets things wrong and he has no problem correcting himself, which I, I would think we would already know. Let's play that one. All of those theories that at one point in time were banned, were openly discussed by those two men that I had on my podcast that have been accused of dangerous misinformation. I do not know if they're right. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely. I get things wrong, but I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. And I'm interested in having interesting conversations with people that have differing opinions. I'm not interested in only talking to people that uh, have one perspective. Okay, I think we knew that already. Um, I don't. I, I'm at a loss for people not putting Rogan's show in perspective. Like, yeah, that's the part where I think like. <laughs> It, now here come the Rogan people and you're at your app matches. I can see you're like, huh, boy, my app matches are going to have a lot of Rogan know, supporters. A to this no, after. Look, I mean, it is, it is, it is really a luxury to like, if influence didn't exist, one mm. of America's biggest industries wouldn't be marketing and advertising. If right. industry, if influence didn't exist, we wouldn't have, we'd be out of a job. Like it's willfully and luxuriously naive considering the volume of people who cite Joe Rogan as their hero, right? Like this guy yeah. is in the status of Tesla, Apple, PlayStation versus Microsoft. Like he has a cultish fan base. So fan that boys. gives his... So, so the idea yeah. 
that it is credible that people are not taking Joe Rogan seriously. We are not a nation of Spocks out here taking information in and being like, fascinating. Hmm. That's not what's happening. And we know it. And he knows it because he got paid whatever, however many hundred, tens of millions, what, a hundred million dollars to go to Spotify. It would be lovely to believe that the way America works is that people are out here taking in information and then they're doing their own so, research and they're coming to reasonable conclusions. And if that were true, we wouldn't have 2,500 COVID deaths yesterday from among almost exclusively unvaccinated people. Right. And it's so this happening. is where with great power comes great responsibility. And he's and not maybe, taking it. I don't see him taking well, it. Well, yeah. So I maybe think he that, started today. Maybe that's what the point of this. Mo- I think that's what this moment is, is maybe Joe Rogan realizing Geez, I got a lot of influence. And as you're correctly pointing out, getting $100 million is Spotify confirming he's got a lot of influence where they would not have given $100 million because that $100 million they have to make back in 500,000 people paying for the service over the like, next two or three years. You get to be just some doofy idiot. Yeah. We have all been put into a position where we take responsibility for the things that we say. And so to, the fast and loose yeah, production just, style doesn't work anymore for him. No, he should be more considered uh, and thoughtful is I think what everybody is saying. So let's play this clip, where he t- the clip number four, where he talks about what he can do better and the disclaimer that you correctly pointed out would be coming. One of the things that Spotify wants to do that I agree with is that at the beginning of these controversial podcasts, like specifically ones about COVID, is to put a disclaimer and say that you should speak with your physician and that these people and the opinions that they express are contrary to the opinions of uh, the consensus of experts, which I think is very important. Sure, have that on there. I'm very happy with that. I think if there's anything that I've done that I could do better is uh, have more experts with differing opinions right after I have the controversial ones. I would most certainly be open to doing that. So that's a good thought. Here's another idea. In the original days of podcasting, you have a guest on, you talk, you publish. Maybe if you get that big of an audience and it's about science, you have a science editor, listen to the pod, and maybe you do a little preamble before the pod starts and say, in this podcast, at 40 minutes in, this person makes this claim. Mm -hmm. I talked to three doctors after the pod went out, and here's what they said. Three out of three doctors disagree with him. And here's why they disagree with them. And I'm going to have one of those doctors on episode 1500. So in two weeks, you'll hear that. So you could actually do some work after the pod is taped to do a little fact checking of what people said. That's actually, I, I, that's I mean, what I would do if I Spotify. It gets funny because you had the idea for basically a round table, like a panel of fact checkers, almost like a, what's that Walking Dead spinoff show that's sort of like- A Talking been, Dead. A Talking Dead, but yeah. for Joe Rogan. And he essentially just like- Propose the same thing himself. Yeah. Which at some point, you know what? I mean, it's kind of funny because what you're watching here is Joe Rogan start to um, ask questions that what like journalism. Like, hmm, if I hear a thing, maybe I should, (laughs) if I hear a thing from a single source, maybe I I should have some other sources who can either confirm or deny that thing. Yes. And that, that it, and listen, the poc, the problem Which, with the podcasting great. format, Sam Harris did a podcast where he talked about not having Brett Weinstein on his podcast anymore. And Brett has kind of gone off the deep end, I think most people would agree, kind of like in the anti-vax kind of area. And uh, he was like, he basically Sam Harris, who's a friend of mine, chose to do the opposite of what Joe Rogan is doing. He's like, listen, I don't want to platform people at this moment in time, 
where the vaccine people who are unvaccinated are getting killed because I can't in real time fact check the person. And then we get into this like, what is truth conversation? Mm-hmm. And that is one of the problems because right. if the if the WHO is a politicized organization now or if Fauci, you know, did try to cover up the lab leak thing or there's some conspiracy theory there or if it actually turns out to be reality, who knows? Did mm-hmm. we fund gain of function? I'm sure we did. Did we do it with the intent of creating a pandemic? Obviously not. So I mean, like you have all these possibilities, but you can't in a podcast edit in real time. Like podcasting does have limitations as a format. It does. Definitely. I think that even Facebook and Twitter, like the thing that ultimately pushed these platforms to make these content decisions is that at some point, you don't, again, when our per capita infections and deaths are so outrageous compared to the rest of the world, right? When our va- when it's a, a genuine public health crisis, when you have people saying, and people who are, are sincerely being misled by the act of just asking questions. When you have a guy in the news today who was like, I declined a kidney transplant that I need to stay alive because they were going to make me get the vaccine yeah, to get a new kidney, right? Like the bar is higher than this Mm. sort of simple question of like, I'm just out here asking questions. I'm just having conversations. I will say, I give Joe Rogan a lot of credit for acknowledging the conversation. Like I, in, in today's America, I was frankly shocked that he didn't just dig right in because he has always been controversial. He has always like, yes, invited people on to just have a conversation and engage in some like intellectual back and forth. And that was like kind of okay when again, 2,500 people, we are two thirds of the way to the peak of American deaths per day. Yeah, it was 4,000, right? Before a vaccine. Yeah. And it's all unvaccinated people, like 98, 99%. It is 98 or or it's my mother. Who yeah. is vaccinated and totally immunocompromised and right. is put at severe danger by the fact that this pandemic in this country is like never going to f*** it. I give because, Joe Rogan a lot of credit. Because this last group of people refuses to get vaccinated, right? It's like, and it's not a small group. We're it's like 30% at 64%. Of the country? 36% of the country. two shots. Yeah. And then like something like 20 or 30% boosted, right? Like it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's a challenge. It is a genuine public health crisis. And so it's just not, you can't just sort of say like, I'm just talking over here. So which has led I think a lot of people now to be like, if you're, I hate to say this, but if if your risk assessment, I'm going to say it in a kind way, mm-hmm. if your risk assessment is so poor, that you don't take the vaccine. I mean, I don't know what I could do at this point. Like, how could you be looking at the statistics of 99% of the deaths or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. it's way into the 90s and i you know i wish we had exact but then like how easy like, how hard would it be for joe rogan to be like hey dr malone 99 percent of the deaths are among the unvaccinated right that's what i mean when i say hammering like, that home you don't yes, that would be keep, more responsible that would be like just say get it, the vaccine that's <laughs> why i find it not credible that you're just uh, you're just yeah. intellectually curious still like <laughs> no you're not Right. You're, well, you're, you're embracing yeah. some kind of a, like you're taking the money, the fame and the attention is very comfortable. I, the great, I a, saw a large audience yeah. thing the other day that was like Joe Rogan at this point is closer to Rush Limbaugh than Howard Stern. Right. Because mm-hmm. there was a void there. There's this audience that's super fired up and very eager to embrace a voice like that. I think Joe Rogan just realized, and I give him a lot of credit for putting out a video where he's like, I realize that this train has gotten a little out of my control because here, yeah. most and people here, well, are just digging in and being like double barrel people i'm doing what i want 
So good for he him. He actually said something similar to what I said back in October. He said this, it would be better to get the virus and recover and have amazing immunity. Rogan said of the podcast, you know what I think you should do? I think you should get vaccinated and then get sick. This is why, because then you got the vaccine protects you from a bad infection and then you get COVID. So then you get the robust immunity that is imparted from having the actual disease itself. That's a quote from his podcast, which is kind of, I didn't say it exactly like that, but I did say, I think the ultimate protection is being triple vaxxed, then you get it and you get the weakest version and then you have the natural immunity too. And then you're kind of on the side. So I don't know. Uh, it's because he produces so much content and he talks about this so much. It's mm -hmm. also very hard to get a handle because you're talking about three hour podcast rambling talking about this. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, he's vaxxed too, right? He's not anti-vax. The real, I don't, I don't know. I know that when he, I think when he got COVID, he said that he uh, took vax. ivermectin. He did say that. He, yeah. I mean, I'm you not know. an anti-vax person. There's an opportunity I again to look. I am of the firm belief that this is mostly a Spotify story. That okay, why? it is related. It is very. It is very much about Rogan and the fact that he has a huge audience and a ton of influence. And yeah. you know, for all the people who are like, <laughs> if you're getting your advice from Joe Rogan, like you're just not paying attention to how influence and media right, works and has always me. freaking worked. <laughs> That's right. Been my position, which is like, he's a comedian. Like he hosted yeah. Fear Factor. No. But you like, are right. No. He's at scale. We know I, I, what I'm influence. coming around to your position, which is he's at scale. He's at scale. And, and when you're at scale, so you have a different responsibility. And he should rise to the occasion. Hopefully, this is him rising to the occasion. Right. Let's, and, um, but to Rock Mike's point, who says, I thought this podcast was about startups. I think this is about Spotify. This is, this is, a, this is about Spotify. This is a business policy. story. And every single company who's coming up right now does not realize that it's a content company. And it is. And content moderation. I mean, we've talked about this before, even Airbnb, yeah. even Uber, right? Like everything is moderation at this point. And if you are going to be a company who is trying to build on the creator economy, on, you know, podcasting, on acquiring and distributing content, these are the questions that are going to come up. And the fact that Spotify yeah. got into this business without, I, I don't know, a published policy, without a plan. Without a moral no, clause it, and a contract. They, they were moving fast and breaking exactly. things. Exactly. And, I mean, and what I'm saying to new companies who want to get in this business, don't wing it. This is the defining question now of yeah. putting informa information on the internet. And early in the pandemic, he did say, you know, if a young person is healthy, they don't need to get the vaccine. I think that was bad advice. But he said, again, that's my advice. And what do I know? I'm not even a doctor. But to your point, he's at scale. He should be more thoughtful. Spotify is at scale, they should be more thoughtful. So if and I thought his response was thoughtful. So and I think he is mm -hmm. actually a considered thoughtful person. So I think Spotify should demand a little more editorial uh, controls from him. And he should demand it of himself. Let's end with this, uh, his goals for the show and kind of an apology. He this was sort of an apology on apology. It was an explanation apology. What do you call yeah. that? An exponology? Uh, not an apology. apology. But yeah. <laughs> but I, no, I think he did say the words, I'm sorry. Let's hear did it. Did he say, I'm sorry you feel that yeah, way? Let's hear let's clip listen. Let's listen. I don't want to just show the, the contrary opinion to what the narrative is. I want to show all kinds of opinions so that we can all figure out what's going on. And, and not just about COVID, about everything, about health, about fitness, wellness, the, the state of the world itself. It's a strange responsibility to have this many viewers and listeners. It's very strange. And it's nothing that I prepare for. And it's nothing that I ever anticipated. I am going to do my best in the future to uh, balance things out. I'm going to do my best. But my 
point of doing this is always just to create interesting conversations and ones that I hope people enjoy. So if I pissed you off, I'm sorry. And uh, if you enjoy the podcast, thank you. Rate the apology, one to 10. Sincerity, thoughtfulness. I find him sincere in this apology, but I don't like the, if I pissed you off, I'm sorry. I know. I mean, it's just an I'm sorry you feel that way. However, I'm sorry I you're upset, Molly. That this was, a, I know, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, for have your I'm sorry spouse I ruined or your, significant other say that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry you're I so ruined upset. your mentions, Molly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I know not saying I did that this. ever happened to me in a relationship. But. I know I did this terrible thing, uh, and I'm sorry that I did it. I'm probably going to do it again, to be clear. <laughs> I I, look, yeah. I, overall, this is so much more thoughtful than I, yeah. frankly, this is at least an acknowledgement that there is a, a burden of responsibility. I'm also shocked this dude doesn't seem to have any producers. I think there are no producers of note. I think the producers book guests. And they might give him some notes, but I don't think there's like a science producer talking about science stuff. Yeah. Oh, well, he did apologize to Spotify. So to bring this back to Spotify, <laughs> Spotify has been growing quickly. They provide a great app, but they, let's face it, suck at content moderation and managing all this stuff. And they need to suck less. That's my I mean, they need to suck less for their own sake, because at one point, Joe Rogan had wiped $4 billion, Well, you could actually say Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and Brene Brown and Harry and Meghan had wiped $4 billion off of Spotify's market cap. Like, so when this clause. news broke, it did drop the stock? Yeah. Yeah. $4 huh. billion at one point. Well, now it, it's up. Spotify's stock uh, was up as much as 12% as of noon Eastern Monday, um, although the, the broader market was up as well. I mean, look. Yeah, I wonder if that just, had to do with the market stuff or if it was actually really- story. I wonder, yeah, I wonder, was that happening during the stock market going down anyway? Like, I, we have to, we would need to know what the overall stock market was doing during that period. But it does look like it took a massive dip when that news broke. Yeah. So maybe people were responding to the news. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, it's a, they got a great business. And getting Joe Rogan was a brilliant move. I, you know, I have to say the 100 million they're paying him, I think is, a, I, somebody can fact check me on this if they have inside information or something. I heard three years, some people say five years, but let's pick four. Four years, 25 million bucks. I think he was probably making 20, 15, 20 million bucks. He probably gets an overage if they break that number. So mm -hmm. what they did with Joe Rogan was a highly profitable power move. I'll explain the math. They are almost guaranteed to get back a large percentage of Joe Rogan's $100 million in advertising. Let's say they get back 75 with 100 million or 50. Mm -hmm say 50. So now they're out 50 million. Spotify costs like 10 bucks a month, eight bucks a month. I'm not sure I pay for like a family plan. That's 15. I think I think I pay uh, for that too. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty good deal. Actually, you get five emails, you can share it. Yeah, it's great. So if a Spotify user is worth, let's say $200 over three years, just taking a guess here, if you had a million of them, that'd be 200 million. If you had a quarter million of them, it would be 50 million. So I think they make their money back and then some and they blocked another competing service from getting Joe Rogan the number one podcaster at the time. In other words, sometimes when you overpay for something and you block a competitor from having it in the long term, you know, you're going to wind up winning. That's why I like the Howard Stern deal, which made no sense to people on terrestrial radio, what they didn't realize was if only 1 million people pay for the $10 a month, 120 a year over three years for Howard Stern, that's 360 bucks. That's his contract price. So mm -hmm. There are people actually doing the math on the other end of these deals. Yeah. And maybe it's, maybe there's 25 million at risk. There's not the to top line number at risk. It's probably 10 or 20% of the total number at risk. 
And for Joe Rogan, he got all that money up front, I believe, or a significant mm -hmm. portion of it, took out his downside risk, and now he doesn't have to worry about ever having to talk to an advertiser again, all the risk was taken out. So if he did get canceled or did make some stupid mistake, he secured the bag. And that was I'm sure there is no uh, clause in it about like Joe Rogan's a bad person. There's no clause in it like Joe Rogan said the wrong word or gets canceled. He just gets the money period mm -hmm. in yeah. a negotiation like that. So yeah, which is on Spotify at the end of the day, like the, and they'll have to make those and look, it may end up being the best business deal. Like, you know, signing all these exclusives might end up being the best business deal that Spotify ever, ever made. Did. But uh, I'll be is. very curious to see what the like long term fallout is of this move into straight up publisher, right? If they if they if God forbid, they call down the FCC on streaming services, <laughs> who ultimately loses then? I think they're go I think it'll the downside is so minor of being a publisher. Um, and I think they explicitly are going into Netflix territory. I think that's why they bought ringer was to learn mm -hmm. from bill simmons who IP. is a savant yeah but also i think it was more for the playbook i'll be honest like mm. the ip they got might be worth half the deal two-thirds a deal i think what they really wanted was bill simmons's brain like bill simmons created 30 for 30 Grantland, all these incredible shows he knows how to manage the talent so much like when aol bought weblogs inc for me they were trying to get the playbook for engadget and joystick so they could do tmz which they owned half of and other blogs like tmz was a blog they built on our platform so I think they were trying to buy the playbook. Joe Rogan was part of the playbook. Anchor part of the playbook. And what's the other right. one they bought? Gimlet. Did they buy Gimlet? Gimlet. Yeah. So just specifically, Bill Simmons and Glenn. I don't know if they bought them, but they did a say the same, like an exclusive. Maybe they bought them. I, I can't bought remember. them outright. I think they're yeah, all one of those. They're all Spotify employees now because the unions are fighting, and it all goes up to Spotify. So Spotify I mean, bought this. So interesting because that is exactly what when we were talking about the amount of money that Disney and Netflix and HBO. I mean, it's interesting to think that the competitive the competition to them. We were like nobody could ever compete now. It's such a big moat in terms of their investment in yeah. contact content. And it is interesting to think about Spotify as a competitor that's sort of like coming in the side, guerrilla warfare, licensing maybe a different type of content, but the same eyeballs, right? The same attention economy, same ear time, same ear time. Yeah, and, and now and our Ringer video, were bought outright. Thanks, Justin. And now we're part of this uh, anchor. So if you're watching this on Spotify, you can press a button if you're listening to the audio stream, and then anchor their, you know, back in technology shows the video. Yeah. So now they're competing with YouTube. So now we have our content on YouTube and video on Spotify. So, you know, and people we can may or may not have a label today. We don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think they've rolled that out just yet. Sp var here just some math on the stock drop variety reported spotify stock drop six percent from january 26th to 28th representing two billion lost market cap during the same time period tech stocks went down zoom 10 percent square 15 twilio so it seems like correlation yeah. not causation could be a clickbaity headline okay could be yeah right. could be mm -hmm. i think <laughs> we did enough show did we oh, do yeah, another show r.i.p my mentions even in chat it's I, all over now i um time to go actually one of the things I like about having you as co-host is we have a different opinion about this. And I actually yep. felt like I learned a little something in our discussion, which was I wasn't taking into account the downside risk of Spotify with regulation, if they mm -hmm. don't get this right, which I think is actually real, I was kind of not even thinking about that. So you made me think about that. And then also Joe taking more responsibility, which actually has now I think our positions were kind of two circles that were close together. And now if you kind of yeah. push them together a little bit, 
I think what we figured out today, because you and I have been debating this on, and we have a different opinion. Um, mm -hmm. I was always like, buyer beware, like it's a comedian. And yeah. now I'm kind of like, wait a second, if a comedian does get to this level of scale, and the publisher is at this level of scale, during a pandemic, and it could be resulting in public health crisis, yeah, maybe you take a little more care and you do that proactively, because it's the right thing to do. Like, where is his producers? Like, if I was Spotify, I would sit with Joe and be like, here's like $250,000 extra a year, hire five scientists part time to just fact check your own pod, mm -hmm. 50k each five scientists. And anytime you talk about science, the show I was talking about, you just have them do that. And we'll make an after Joe show. After yeah. Joe show is actually a good title. Dude, After Joe Show is a good title and would be huge. Yeah. It'd be huge, just like The Talking Dead. Yeah, I mean, listen, you're a great co-host. I love having these conversations with you. And I love oh, that, like, I do love that our, you know, our chat, we're in a, we're at a point in America where we literally have to relearn how to disagree. And I have been proud of most of the people in our chat today who are having an argument, like a conversation way where they are trying to educate each other. And it's great yeah. to see not everybody, but like a lot of them. I think if you stop arguing and just take the approach of like, let's hash this out, mm -hmm. what is valid about each position? And when, if you just give a little more space to what's valid about the other person's position, and what is an outcome that's good for everybody? Yeah. Like, I'm always thinking, because I work with startups, whenever there's problems, I'm just like, what's the solution? What's our plan? I just totally. immediately go to that. And they're like, oh my God, there's so many problems. We fucked up this, we fucked up that. And I'm like, great assessment. What's the plan? And people are like, Jake, how you're the greatest board member ever, the greatest mentor. I'm like, because I stopped wallowing in the problems. And I just got us focused on the plan. And like, when you start joining boards, you'll be faced with crises constantly. Mm -hmm. And if you can be that person who says, well, in a crisis, you got to you do have to assess. And that's what we did here. We were assessing what's the problem. And it is misinformation. What's the solution? Better information, you know, more thoughtfulness. Yeah. 100%. Be more 100%. thoughtful. You know? Be more thoughtful. Just listen. Let's make 2022 the year of and. And the year of and. And <laughs> and is a way of being more thoughtful. <laughs> yes. And. <laughs> How many Joe Rogan? Empathy. Oh, yeah. Thoughtfulness. Here's interesting. Are there, we can I didn't know it. we had voting in YouTube, but one of the producers just put a, I know. A, a thing up here. How many Joe Rogan episodes do you listen to him on 0, 1 to 3, 4 to 8, 9? I think I'm more like 1 or 2, so I'll pick 1 to 3. Oh, 37% of our audience listens to one to three. Hmm, huh. Interesting. Only 26% of our audience listens to none. That is, we have a podcasting audience. So the majority of our audience listens to Joe Rogan every month. Big overlap. Interesting. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and subscribe. Go to thisweekinstartups.com and give us your email address if you want to get invited to meetups and yada yada. Go to thisweekinstartups.com slash Slack if you want to join our Slack and come to our meetups which are at thisweekinstartups.com slash meetup. Okay, we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey guys, Rachel reporting here. On February 14th and 15th, we'll be hosting Founder University Intensive. This is a two-day program for founders. Now, this course is only open to women founders. We'll be hosting a course open to everyone on May 9th and 10th. You can apply for both at founder.university. And applications for the longer 12-week Founder University program are due on February 14th, and you can also apply for those at founder.university. 
Follow Jason and Molly on Twitter at Jason and at Molly Wood. If you're not a boomer and prefer TikTok, search for This Week in Startups to find the fan account at this underscore week underscore in underscore startups. And our official account at TWI Startups. But honestly, the fan account is way better than ours. And if you're still not tired of hearing from Jason six days a week, you can hear him read his book, Angel, at angelthebook.com slash audible.